Last week we talked about the good news and the bad news, right? Uh, This morning I may have good news or I might have bad news for you. It depends on how you look at it. I stand before you this morning to tell you that ministry is not an easy job, but it is the best job that you'll ever be called to. The good news is this, it's not my job, it's your job. That might be the bad news, depending on your perspective, actually. That's right. My job is actually, according to Scripture, to train you to do the work of ministry. Everyone thinks that the pastor's job is to do the ministry, and their job is just to support him, to help him, to pray for him. Wrong. Although I appreciate all those things, I really do. And I I want you to do those things, because we're supposed to do that for one another. But the pastor's job is really well-defined in Scripture. In Ephesians 4, it says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. My job as a pastor is then to help you become all that you need to be in order to do the work of ministry to train you up. Now, I bet you weren't expecting that as an opening to a sermon, were you? Usually I tell a joke or something in the morning, but maybe the joke's on you. I don't know. I'm just kidding, really. Uh, You see, the scriptures are really very clear. We're all called to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of who Jesus is, why he came for us, Our passage this morning from Romans gives us what I would call literally the heart of ministry. It's Paul's heart expressed towards the church at Rome, but it's also the heart that we need if we're going to do the ministry that God has called us to do. And trust me, God has called each and every one of us into ministry. There's no getting around this. If you're a believer, you've been called to minister for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the good news of who Jesus is. Our passage this morning comes from Romans chapter 1, verse 8 through 17. And it says this, I'm going to read it out of the NIV this morning. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 8. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
Paul lays out what his heart is for the people at Rome. It is the heart of everyone who ministers. And if all of us are called to be ministers of reconciliation, in other words, ministers that share the good news of Jesus Christ and help to reconcile people to God, then this needs to be our heart as well. This is what I'd like you to see this morning from this passage. Before we go there, let's stop and let's pray and let's ask God to speak to us. Heavenly Father, I just come before you right now wanting on behalf of all of us, Father, that your Holy Spirit would work in and through us this morning to reveal to us this heart of ministry that you have for us. We don't create this thing, Father God, and I'm aware of that, but we need to be aware that it's there for us so that we can reach out, take hold of it, and run with it. Because that's your desire for us, Father God, that we would be ministers of reconciliation, that we would be people of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of who Jesus is for us and who he is for the world around us as well. So, Father, I pray that this word by your Holy Spirit would grab hold of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Paul is excited. He's excited about the good news, the gospel that he wants to impart to believers at Rome. This is just a thought here, and it kind of goes with last week's message, but I want to kind of keep embedding this in your thinking, okay? Because this is important. He wasn't talking just about their salvation. Folks, he was talking to people who were already saved. Verse 7 tells us that he was talking to people that were already saved, to all those who were called of Jesus Christ in Rome. He's talking to believers. What he wanted to impart to them wasn't just a message of salvation. It couldn't be. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been talking to them. He'd have been talking to everybody else in Rome that wasn't saved yet. But he's talking to the church in Rome, so he must be talking about a gospel that goes beyond just our salvation. It goes to the good news that Jesus is for us. And what he did for us reconciles us to God that we could have an abundant life, the one that he promised when he came to give us life and life more abundant. Just a thought, okay? I want you to keep that in the back of your mind, constantly in the back of your mind. Because as we go through the book of Romans, the book of Romans is about the good news of Jesus Christ. And it is not just about your salvation. At every corner, it is about this amazing life that Jesus has for you. A life of peace and a life of rest. So keep that Cadillac catalog, that one, in, in the back of your brain. Because when I say gospel, I mean so much more than just salvation. As excited as Paul might be about this message of good news, his first thought in talking to these people is to thank God for them. He goes to God in thanksgiving. I think this is the heart of anybody that truly desires to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. We, we have to be people raised up in a thankful heart, a people who are motivated by thanksgiving, all that God has done for us, and we are so grateful we cannot help but share the goodness of God. I learned something yesterday. Uh, Janet and I were talking to Richard and Kathy Harrison, who have a ministry of marriage counseling um, that's out of um, AG up north. We were wanting to meet with them to see if they might be a good fit for our church when people need marriage counseling. We had a great time. One of the things that Kathy shared, which I thought was incredibly, wonderfully practical, when it comes to marriages, is that they have couples make a list 
of the things that they love about their spouse, okay? It does, whatever that is, you know, it could be their smile, it could be the way they do a certain thing, whatever kind of thing, but make up a list, and husbands and wives, listen carefully, okay, because this is really practical, and you ought to do this, all right? Make up a list of the things that you love about your spouse, those things that endear you to them. Why do you, why do you love them? Make up a list. And, and don't just make up a list, but put that list then, both the list that you make and the list that your spouse makes, put them in a prominent place in your house, maybe like on the bathroom mirror or something, someplace that you're going to look into at least once a day, okay? Guys, that might be in your truck or car kind of thing, something you can read when you're commuting or, or whatever you, it is that you do kind of thing. But for the most part, I'd say, you know, the refrigerator, most of us visit the refrigerator at least once, Okay. <laughs> Uh, or the mirror. Ladies, I know we visit the mirror at least once a day, okay? Put it in a prominent place so that you're reminded constantly of what you love about your spouse. You see, love is a choice that we make, and when we're struggling to make that choice at any given moment in our marriage, and all of us go through this in our marriage, we need to be reminded of the things that drew us to the other person in the first place. It's hard to, to, to be mad at your spouse when you're thinking about how much you love them because of this or that or the other thing, right? Now, they might have done something that just really got under your skin, okay? And at, the, at that moment, it's not easy, but to make a choice to love sometimes is facilitated or helped by remembering, why did I love this person in the first place, okay? If you can go back to that, Whatever's wrong will be diminished, if not taken away completely. I thought it was a really practical, wonderful thing, just like counting your blessings before God. And really, that's what Paul begins with here. Paul is counting his blessings. He's talking about thankfulness. He's counting the church at Rome as a blessing in his life and in the life of the New Testament church. I would submit to you that the first priority of ministry is a heart of thankfulness. In a recent experiment, psychologists asked undergraduates to complete a survey that included a happiness scale and measures of gratitude and thankfulness. Then over the next six weeks, the participants wrote down once a week five things for which they were grateful. It had a dramatic effect on their happiness score and all rated themselves higher in happiness after the six weeks were over than when they began. Why does that work? Because we remind ourselves of those things for which we are thankful. It builds in us a thankful heart. And a thankful heart is a happy heart. A thankful heart is a heart of joy. It's really, when you're counting your blessings, it's really hard to hold on to the hard things that make you angry, frustrated, no matter what area of ministry God has called you to, and he's called each and every one of us, the most important thing, the most critical ingredient is a heart of thankfulness. Paul had his issues. Paul had his issues. At the time that he wrote this, he was in Galatia, and it wasn't really that big an issue. Nothing terrible was going on in his life. But this is a man that had been stoned, shipwrecked, beaten, whipped to with 
in a, a, a one whip of death, as, as the Jews put it, 39 times instead of 40, because they believe 40 times would kill a person. Paul had seen some really hard things in his life, but he kept a heart of thankfulness. Because, you know, other, otherwise, like so many other people, he would have quit. He would have walked away. And I see that all too often. I've seen way too many people get hurt, get burned out, get fed up, get delusioned in ministry because they focused on the negative stuff instead of keeping a heart of thankfulness. Usually people end up leaving ministry when they fail to count the blessings. Something to think about. You want to count your blessings? If you have a if you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, do you realize that you are richer than 75% of the world? It's true. If you have money in the bank in your wallet and spare change in a dish someplace at home, in my case, it's in a mason jar, okay, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. We don't think about that living in this country, do we? If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than the million people who will not even survive this week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you are ahead of 500 million people in the world if you can attend church meetings without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than, get this, three billion people in the world. Folks, we have a lot to be thankful for, an, an incredible amount to be thankful for. It is so easy for us as a people to get focused on the negative, to get focused on what we don't have. If we get focused on our lack, we start living in lack. The idea here is very simple. Focus on the blessings of God. Focus on the goodness of God. Focus on those things that you can be thankful for. And your heart will take care of you. Your heart will be blessed. You will live in more joy and more freedom. Not because you're claiming riches and all that kind of stuff in the name of Jesus. That doesn't even work okay, but because you focused on his goodness towards you. It is his nature to be good, and he's already been better to you than most of the world has experienced. You are blessed beyond belief. You are blessed. Get a hold of that. Get a hold of that. It'll change your life. The second thing I see here in developing a heart for ministry is to have a heart for people. It's about relationship. Ministry is always about relationship. Verse 9 says, God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had 
among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Simply put, Paul desires to connect with believers. It's more than just a desire to have a good time together. He wants, according to verse 11, to impart to them some spiritual gift that would make them stronger. Exactly what is the spiritual gift he wants to impart? Well, he tells us exactly what that is in verse 12. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul intends to make them stronger in their faith through the spiritual gift of encouragement. Says it really plain right there in the scripture. Be mutually encouraged. Listen, I've said this before, but it bears repeating over and over again. Exactly, exactly what Stacy was talking about this morning. We need each other. We need each other. By the way, thank you for preaching the second point of my sermon for me. That was so great. No, nothing to apologize for. That was great. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Day in capital D, okay? The day of Christ's return approaching. Encourage more, encourage more, encourage more as you see that day. We had a little discussion about this in the men's group on Wednesday because what we're studying in the book of Acts uh, we're, we're in the first chapter of Acts, and we were talking about the ascension of, of Christ and the fact that the angels stood there along with the disciples and then whispered in there, what are you doing looking up in the air? This Jesus who just left up in the clouds, he's going to return the same way. We talked about the idea of Jesus returning and then living in light of the knowledge that he's going to come back. How different would our lives be if we focused on the idea that Jesus is coming? He's coming back. I, I, I remember in the 70s when I first got saved. Wow, I'm dating myself quickly here, aren't I? In the 70s when I first got saved, there was a, just a whole wrath of people that were all about the return of Jesus. And it was, it was all over Christianity at that time. People were seeing his, his image in clouds and, and all kinds of stuff. And people were getting excited about the return of Jesus. And you know, know what? A decade later, I think we forgot we started living like, well, we got time. He hasn't come back in 2,000 years. It's probably not going to be tomorrow. You know what? It probably isn't going to be tomorrow. I'll just be honest with you. There's a few things that, that the Scripture says that need to happen. The thing about it is this, though. It will happen. And some of those things could happen by the end of next week. It just depends on, on what decisions are made on the global scale. And all of the things that need to happen for Jesus to return could happen very, very quickly. So we need to live in light of the idea that Jesus is returning, and he's coming back soon. So let us encourage one another in this. Paul's goal in preaching, my goal in preaching, is not just to impart to you a whole bunch of knowledge, folks, every week just to download stuff so you get to be little, you know, information overload couch potatoes, we don't need a whole lot more information. You don't need a whole lot more information. We need to be encouraged to act on the information that we already have received. 
And that is something we're supposed to do for one another, folks. That's part of the heart of ministry, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to use what we've already got. And folks, let me remind you, there are no Lone Ranger Christians, not a single one. Anybody who tries to walk down that road will eventually wither and die in their faith. We were made for one another. And when we go MIA on each other, we slowly start to deteriorate. Can you have, like states, can you have a relationship with God apart from the church? You can have one. It won't be very healthy. It'll be a struggle. You might be able to have one, but it will not be all that God planned for you. It certainly won't include the abundant life that Jesus planned for you because he planned for you to live the abundant life in relationship with one another, in community. We need one another to keep us moving toward a deeper connection with God who is the source of our abundant life. Jackie Robinson was the first black person to play Major League Baseball. Breaking baseball's color barrier, he faced jeering crowds at every stadium. Players would stomp on his feet. They'd kick him. While playing one day in his home stadium in Brooklyn, he made an error. He missed a ball, and fans began to ridicule him. He stood at second base just humiliated while the fans jeered. Then what happened was the shortstop, Pee Wee Reese, came over and he stood next to Jackie Robinson. He put his arm around Jackie, and he faced down the crowd with him. And the fans started to grow quiet. Robinson later said of his career, that it was that arm around his shoulder that saved his baseball career. Folks, that is what we're supposed to do for one another each and every week. That's why we're, we're not supposed to forsake gathering together. If we do, then we miss at least two things. We missed the opportunity to be encouraged like Jackie Robinson was encouraged, and we missed the opportunity to be the encourager that Pee Wee Reese was. Now, I have a confession of sorts to make. I don't like preaching about sin. Doesn't float my boat. I'm going to have to spend some time doing just that as we work our way through the book of Romans, especially the middle part of the book of Romans, chapters 3 to a small degree chapters four through seven to a large degree. It's not that I don't believe in the doctrine of sin. I do. And it's not that I want to play down the power of sin or make light of it. I don't. It's not that I think that understanding the depth of our sin is unimportant. After all, how can we really rejoice in the salvation that we have if we don't understand what we're being saved from, right? I get all that. But I still don't like talking about it. I'd much rather bring a message of encouragement. It's just the way God built me, folks. I'd much rather talk about the incredible love of God that ravages this sin nature that we have, that wants to to blot it out, that wants to eliminate it from our lives, especially eliminate the, the effect that it has on our lives. Hellfire and brimstone preaching is not my style, nor is it where my heart wants to be. 
Like Paul, I want to encourage. I want to build you up in your faith. I want to impart to you a deeper understanding of the blessings of your salvation for this life and the life to come. That's why I talk about relationships so much. That's why I challenge you to go deeper into God, to discover who he is for you, who he wants to be for you. Will I preach about sin? Yeah, of course, I will. It's important in so much as understanding the nature of why we sin helps us to move away from it and towards righteousness. In that much, it certainly has value. I want to encourage you toward something, not just away from something. Personally, I don't think that works, okay? Anybody that focuses on walking away from their sin is only focusing on the very thing that they're going to go back to because that's all you filled your heart and mind with. I want you to focus on what you're moving toward, righteousness. Toward a life lived in the fullness of Christ. Do you know what sin's greatest power is? What's sin's greatest power? It's not that it's not powerful. It is. It's not that it's not tempting. It is. It's not that it doesn't bring some kind of momentary pleasure. It does. If it it didn't, we wouldn't do it, okay? What is sin's greatest power? Folks, sin's greatest power is its ability to remove you from intimacy with God. That's its greatest power. Sin's reason the reason that it's, it's in our lives, the reason that, that Satan did it was to put a wall between you and God. And that is its greatest power, to separate you from a holy God. When Jesus died on the cross, folks, the veil of the temple was torn from the top down as though God leaned out of heaven momentarily, took the veil that separated the righteous from the unrighteous and ripped it in two. He took down the dividing wall between the righteous and the unrighteous. The holy of holies that was behind the veil was the place of righteousness. You couldn't go there if you had any sin in your life. If you did, you died. Literally. When the high priest would go into the holy of holies once a year, they'd tie a rope around his ankle because if he walked in there with any sin at all, they expected him to fall over dead. And they wanted a way to get him out. God reached down from heaven, opened the veil. There is no dividing wall anymore. Satan doesn't get to have this anymore in your life. Does it mean you don't sin? No. It means that the power of sin is taken care of in the cross. It's washed clean by the blood of Jesus. It's defeated in Christ. Now the only power sin has in the life of a believer, folks, is the power that we grant to it. God dealt with sin on his side of the veil. He opened up a new covenant where sin is undone by the power of the blood of Jesus. We don't have to live in the grasp of the power of sin. We can choose freedom. In fact, we must choose freedom. Now, follow this with me, okay? Choosing freedom is not licensed to sin as much as we want because our sin is forgiven in Christ. That's not freedom. That's actually slavery. 
Choosing freedom is actually choosing obedience. Obedience sets us free from the law of sin and death. Obedience is choosing love. Obedience is choosing Jesus because God is love. Therefore, I will speak of sin. I will preach about sin. I will do everything short of sinning to get you to understand that sin is defeated in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That's the good news. And folks, I call that encouraging. If there's anything to be said about sin that's encouraging is that it's defeated in the blood of Christ. These are the things that are pressing on Paul's heart. These are the things that we need to know as we minister for the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we minister to one another in encouragement. Yeah, are we going to fail? Are we going to fall? Yeah, that's going to happen. Am I going to sin? I do. So do you. But we don't need to be stopped by it, derailed by it, or taken away from our intimacy with God by it. We need to confess on the run, get it over with, dealt with, and keep moving towards righteousness. Keep moving towards obedience because obedience is relationship. It is love. Does that make sense? Did I explain that well enough? The third thing I see here in, in, in a heart of ministry is a heart of boldness. We can't do this by being covert, okay? I, covert love that doesn't even work. I mean, think about that. You know, if I, if I kept my love under wraps for my wife, would she really still be married to me? Probably not, okay? It doesn't work that way. There's a boldness that comes with having this heart of thankfulness, this heart of encouragement. You need to actually use those things that God has put in your heart. And that's, that's where I see Paul. It, there's this inward attitude that is expressed outwardly in in encouragement. Paul's heart towards the church in Rome, even though he has yet to greet them or meet them, he's never actually seen these people. He's writing that he's going to come to them. He's not been there yet. Even though he's yet to establish himself there as a leader before them, it doesn't matter. Paul knows who he is, and he knows what God has asked him to do. And that plays into the last part here of a heart of ministry. It is a heart of confidence. It is even boldness. Paul declares in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Now, I won't pretend to tell you that being in the service of God is an easy thing, okay? It's not. The enemy has an agenda, folks. He wants to take you down. He wants to stop the message of the good news. That's his agenda. He wants to silence your witness. He wants to silence that voice of encouragement. He definitely wants to silence that voice of thankfulness to God. You see, Satan is all about robbing from God. We learn from Ezekiel chapter 14 that Satan had five I wills. The last of those I wills is I will make myself like the most high God. His pride okay? He wants to supplant God in your life. That's his goal. He's done a pretty good job with the world of reaching that goal. But folks, he has no hold on the believer. But we need to stand up and declare that he has no hold 
He's going to throw everything he can at you, even the kitchen sink, in an effort to back you down from declaring the goodness of God on your life and on the life of people around you. If you're going to fulfill the calling of God on your life to be a minister of the gospel, an ambassador of the good news, folks, expect resistance. It's going to happen. When it comes, rejoice in it. That's what James tells us to do. Rejoice in it because it means that you're making progress. It means that the enemy has taken notice of you. It means that you're making a difference. Expect resistance. You know, we haven't done this for a while. I think we need to do this. We haven't made a declaration in a while, have we? We really haven't. This verse is exactly what a declaration should be about. Paul is declaring, I am not ashamed of the good news. That's a great declaration. Just repeat that with me. I am not ashamed of the good news. I am not ashamed. That's a declaration. This is what our lives are supposed to be about. It's about the goodness of God expressed in the person of Christ that brings the greatest news mankind has ever heard. That's what I stand on. That's what I preach. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Repeat that again. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. That's good news, isn't it? That's a declaration. In fact, that probably should be the top declaration of your life because if if we know anything about God that's true, it's that he's good. And when we take our eyes off the fact that he is good, we can get ourselves into all kinds of bad places. It's very easy to go there. But he is good. Declare his goodness. That's worth preaching, in my mind. That's worth preaching. That's worth believing. That's worth declaring. It's worth it all. And I will never be ashamed of that good news. That good news that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Many years ago, I came across this declaration in a book by Derek Johnson. Derek didn't write the declaration. It was just part of a compilation of things that he had in a a book that he wrote. By the way, Derek Johnson is not a relation to Bill Johnson and Bethel Church, not at all. Derek, um, I think Derek's actually older and predates him. Uh, Derek was a music minister when I first ran into him. He was the leader of a group that was going around the nation, singing all over the world, actually, uh, invited to the White House, the whole nine yards. Um, and, he, and he was out of a, a great school, but he was also a conference speaker. He was an author. He was a songwriter. This declaration that he included in his book just grabbed my heart, and I want to read it for you this morning. So I want you to, to really kind of zero in on this because this is important. I think I might have shared some of this once a long time ago, but this is is important. This is the declaration. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. Doesn't that sound like Paul? It does. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. 
My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. I lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven and my road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. This is my declaration. We are called. We are called to be ministers of the gospel. We are called to a heart of thankfulness, to a ministry of encouragement, to be unashamed of the goodness of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I don't know why, but right now I just sense that this is, this is a turning point in the lives of this congregation, individually and corporately. Some of us need to do business here with God today. If you're not living the abundant life, either because you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Lord, as your Savior, or because maybe you've accepted him as, as a Savior, you just haven't made him the Lord of your life, or maybe you've been trapped or deceived by the enemy into low living, sight walking, God has something better for you this morning. And this is the time, this is, this is the hour This is the minute where things need to change, where things will change. And you need to take that step. Right now in your heart of hearts, you need to do business with God. To walk away from any kind of sin that's got you trapped into living a a life of mediocrity instead of abundance. 
and to grab hold of the goodness of God who is good all the time and to start moving towards that love relationship of obedience with him. I'm going to give you just a moment to get a different thought in your brain, to repent, to commit yourself to his way because he has called you and there's no mistake about it. You wouldn't be here if he didn't call you. This is not a mistake. This is not a, a perchance thing. It's not coincidence. You're here this morning because you're called. And as somebody who's called, we need as a body, as individuals, to step up. Take a moment just now before, before God and volunteer to step up. Father God, thank you. We still stand at the beginning of 2014, but I believe in my heart of hearts this is going to be an incredible year for us. It's going to be incredible, Father God, because you are good. And we're going to step into that goodness. We're going to declare that we are not ashamed of that good news. And we're going to move forward in strength and in power. And like this declaration says, we won't give up, we won't shut up, we won't let up until we've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Jesus. We'll go where he wants us to go. We'll do what he wants us to do. And when he comes back, because he will come back, he will recognize us because our banner will be clear. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, for where you, you led me in this passage. I wasn't even expecting to go here this morning, but that's how you work. And so I want to thank you for it. As a people, we want to stand grateful before you because you have called us. And there's no greater place to be than to be called of Jesus Christ. In his precious name, amen.